With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Indie Beacon Radio, where creative souls can find help in marketing their creations. You can send questions for each show on Twitter using the hashtag IndieBeacon. Now sit back and enjoy learning about our guest for this show. And welcome to today's episode of Indie Beacon Radio. I have with me Kathy. And I'm going to say the name wrong, so I'm going to let you say your last name. Giorgio. Giorgio. Okay. I have a weird last name, and I know everybody messes mine up, too. So. <laughs> Do you pronounce but, it bourgeois? Yes. Very few people can actually say it, even from the south here. <laughs> Welcome, Kathy. We appreciate you being here. Thank you. So you have written a lot. Um, yes, I have. been at it for a long time. You've actually won several awards. Um, if I understand correctly, you've been published since about 2011, is that correct, for short stories and other things? My first book appeared in 2011. I've been publishing since I was 15, so that would have been in 1975. Okay. Lucky for you, because when I was at your age, I was told, put it aside, you know, you got to do all the school and education, get a real job and stuff. So I'm pleased that you were able to continue on. You came in at a perfect time for the transition of publishing. Mm -hmm. So you feel that's helped you or hurt you in some ways? For the most part, I think it's helped me. Um, I was with the generation that you wrote a book and you found an agent and then the agent sold the book. Then the publisher sent you on tour for six weeks, and then you went back and started writing again while the publisher continued to promote you. But it was a very, very hard field to break into. You know, trying to get into one of the New York publishers, which were the only options at that time, was really difficult. I actually went through four agents. I had two top-notch New York agents that still couldn't sell me. And in 2011, actually 2010, I fired my last agent and I started to approach the small presses. I sold my first book by myself and that was with Main Street Rag, which is an incredible publisher. And I was their first book that they took totally unedited. They didn't change a word of it and they sure shouldn't have because it was very polished by that point. <laughs> And then from that point on, I mean, I, I really, really enjoy the small presses, and it's something that I really push with my students. The small presses will bring you everything that the large presses do, but with a lot more personality and a lot more personal touch. I actually know my publishers. I can pick up the phone and talk to them rather than having to go through the route of this editor, that editor. So it's, it's helped a lot. And 10 books later, I'm still doing really well. Yeah, I totally agree with you on the small publishers versus the large ones and, and that human interaction. That's so important. The first novel, if I remember correctly, is The Home for Wayward Clocks. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, and I have it right here. Okay. So tell us a little bit about that one. This is The Home for Wayward Clocks. 
And it is what I would consider a hybrid. It is both a novel and a short story collection in that the odd number chapters are the novel, the story of an older man who has an old clock museum on I-80 in Iowa. And as you read his story, you find out that he is really attached to his clocks. He believes that they have souls. He believes that the pendulum is the heart. He interacts completely with clocks. He really does not like the human world very much. But the town he lives in, Wetchier, Iowa, went through an economic depression and he lost his job. He had to find a way to support himself. So he decided to rent a billboard and open his house as a clock museum. And that's how he now supports himself, which means he has to interact with people. But as time goes on through the book, you find out that the reason he was so attracted to clocks was because his mother treated him as a dog when he was growing up, kept him in a crate. Um, we used to do things when you would get a puppy, you would put a ticking alarm clock in with the dog to mimic the heartbeat of the mom. And that's what his mother did. So he bonded with clocks. So you learn his story in the odd numbered chapters. The even numbered chapters are complete independent short stories about the clocks themselves, about who owned the clocks before they came to the museum. So it's, it's a little different book. You know, so you, you get a whole bunch of storylines going on. Yeah, you do. And it would seem very challenging to keep up on all of that, but yet entertaining because you're getting all these little bits and pieces of different things. Mm -hmm. It was interesting to write. And I, I love the short story. You know, if I could only write one genre, it would be the short story. And so doing this book was a way that I could do a novel and yet still incorporate my love for the short story at the same time. And you have um, had a lot of short stories published and won some awards for those, correct? Yes, yes. Um, I've had short stories in hundreds of magazines. And About I just won how many? <laughs> well, no, how many short stories do you think you've written? Oh, my gosh. I wouldn't be surprised if I would be pushing close to a 1,000 by now. So definitely a lot of books collections there. Yes, yes. And there's one book, um, Oddities and Endings, which is a collection of my, a lot of my stories that have appeared in literary magazines. So you can see some of those there. Right. And you've ended up with a total of 10 books, as you said. Um, mm -hmm. And many of the other ones have also won awards too, correct? Yeah, um, the Home for Wayward Clocks won the Outstanding Achievement Award through the Wisconsin Library Association. Um, today's Moment of Happiness Despite the News, which is my collection of essays, um, that was runner-up in the Maxi Awards. Uh, in Grace's Time, which was a novel that was published two years ago, won the Pencraft Award for fiction, honorable mention for fiction. So, yeah, there's, there's been some awards out there. Yeah, you also have um, Learning to Tell a Lifetime um, mm -hmm. and Rise from the River. And, I mean, just a wonderful collection of stories that have been out there. What is your motivation for writing? What is my motivation for writing? Everything is my motivation for writing. Um, I can hear something on the news and it makes me want to sit down and work on something. I can overhear a conversation. Those are great story starters. And, you know, I mean, being a writer gives you permission to eavesdrop and be nosy. 
my husband writes too, and anybody who sees us in a restaurant probably thinks we don't like each other very much because we don't talk. We're too busy listening to the conversations going on around us. Um, but that's a great place to get stories from. So, I mean, I, I can't even really say what makes me want to write a story. I mean, I have a very strange story that started because one of my students was frustrated and she swore and said, oh, Jesus Christ on a dinosaur. And I thought, well, how would that be if Christ rode in on a dinosaur? And I ended up writing an entire story that Christ was the one that showed up to tell the dinosaurs that they were going to go extinct. And he was the one that led them into the pit. And it was a way of taking on Christianity and, and evolutionism and a couple other things and putting them all into one story. I had to follow it. And so I, it's, if anything, for me, it's hard to weed out the motivations. I, I want to be working on several things at once, and yet I work best when I'm working on one thing and really focusing in on it. So I have to lay the stories aside. And because you've written so many short stories, why did you choose then to write long you know, form as far as books go versus just keeping going with the short stories? Primarily because I wanted to actually see something of mine out there in a bookstore or in a library. And I was always told short story collections don't sell. And when I would speak with agents who would see one of my stories and ask me if I had a book, and I would say, well, I have enough to make a short story collection, I was always told, we don't want that. We want a novel first. So I figured I had to write a novel. And I did. You know, I got the idea for The Home for Wayward Clocks, and yet still managed to incorporate short stories into it. So yeah, that's how I got into the book writing. And I really am amazed at the homework clock aspect of having the shorts as well as the full story involved in that. That is, I have to admit, I've not seen that before. And so that's quite impressive to be able to do that. Um, because of your experience with the small press, you actually teach people how to work with or actually go after those um, traditional publishing contracts, correct? I do. I'm, I'm the director and founder of a creative writing studio called All Writers Workplace and Workshop, which we're located here. I'm in Waukesha, Wisconsin, but we're international in that we're also online. So we offer all sorts of classes and workshops for every ability and every genre, uh, whether you're just putting your first word down or we have writers here who have four or five books out and are still coming in for class and for workshop. Then I also work with people one-on-one. -on -one. I do coaching with them and we also do editing services. So in the last five years, we've had over 100 students land traditional book publishing contracts. And we've not gone a single week without somebody being accepted in a magazine or an anthology. So we're doing something right. And, and I love it. I, I truly enjoy it. I mean, we, we live here, which this is a live where you work condo. So my home is here, but the first floor is my business. So I can literally just walk downstairs to work. Or I'm up here at my desk when I'm meeting people online or on the phone. Great. Uh, we're, we've only got like a couple minutes left um, before, and when we come back, we'll talk more about your other books. Um, but for your 
workforce and your organization, how can people find you? Definitely look at the website, which is www.allwriters, which is one word, A-L-L-W-R-I-T-E-R-S, workshop.com. So that's the best place to find out about us. Great. We're going to leave it here and let our sponsors do their thing, and we'll be right back. Hi, Brakefield and Berkey here, award-winning authors for the Techno Thrillers books, the Enigma book series. Technology, today's weapon of choice, the cyber good guys versus the cyber bad guys. We invite you to join our website, theenigmaseries.com, where you will get sample chapters, sample audibles, book trailers, and you can sign up for our mailing list. The books are available in ebook, paperback, and audible. Thank you. Tom Gromes, father of market intelligence, writing business books that are a game changer. International author of nonfiction has written the first and only books on the collapse of Russia and the first and only book on market intelligence. Check them out at mkintel.org. That's mkintel.org. mkintel.org. Hi, this is Alan at Ask Alan Anything, a podcast designed to help you learn about publishing and marketing your books. So join us live on Facebook at 8 p.m. Central Daylight Time. The page is Indie Beacon Radio. Ask any questions about publishing and marketing your book. We're here to help you, and we've been doing it for a long time. So I hope to see you then. Thanks. Welcome back to Indie Beacon Radio. Don't forget to like us, follow us, or subscribe to one of our many channels. Now, here is your host for today's show. And welcome back. This is your host, Beyond Bourgeois, and you're listening to or watching Indie Beacon Radio as we're all over the place, including Amazon Fire. Um, you can watch us on the TVs there. We have with us Kathy. Did <laughs> 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 I try? <laughs> Gerogio. Um, Giorgio. Giorgio. Think Giorgio Armani. There you go. Um, who has written several books and you've won many awards. And previously we were talking about the Home for Wayward Clocks, which again, I, I am really fascinated with how you did that one. Um, but you also have, um, that came out shortly after that, Learning to Tell a Lifetime. And mm -hmm. a lot in parentheses, tell us a little bit about that one. That's this one. And Learning to Tell a Lifetime is actually the sequel to The Home for Wayward Clocks. This book takes place 16 years after the clock book ends, and it is the same format. The novel on the odd number chapters and even number chapters are short story. And in this case, one of the main characters in The Home for Wayward Clocks is a 16-year-old girl named Cooley, um, who the main character in Clocks, James, the clock man, befriends when she brings him an acorn clock, which is an incredibly rare clock that is broken and he, he needs to fix it for her. And he finds out through meeting her that she is living at home with her alcoholic mother, um, who is abusive, likes to burn Cooley with cigarettes. And by the end of, of clocks, he has taken Cooley in. 
when the new book starts, it's 16 years later, James is dead, Gooley is now running the clock museum, and the book starts when a policeman comes to tell her that her mother has been found dead in the house. She has not seen her mother for 16 years. And so in, in her cycle, in the novel cycle, it's her coming to terms with her past, wondering who it is that her mother was because she really had no clue. She goes back to her mother's birthplace and finds out more about her. But the stories take the mother from the time she is eight years old to the day she dies. So you learn through the stories how can somebody grow up to become somebody who would burn their child with cigarettes. That must, story, very, that must have been very painful to write. It was hard. And one of the things that was difficult was in, in the Home for Wayward Clocks, that character was only referred to as Cooley's mother. And I mean, she was an awful person and I didn't like her very much. In this book, she became three-dimensional. She got a name. She was Mara Rose. I learned who she was at eight. I learned who she was at 15. I learned who she was at 18. And by the time I got to the part where she actually burned her daughter for the first time, and I knew I had to write that story. I had to show the transition to how she became this person to a monster. And I had to write that story and I didn't want to. I liked her. I wanted her to get better. I wanted her to find a way not to do that, but I had to stay true to the first book. So I wrote it. And that was the hardest, hardest story to write. And then to watch her go downhill from there. Now, most authors pull from people they know, stories they've heard of and stuff. Was that the case with you? Not really. I mean, it, it came from one of the places that this book takes place is in Esco, Minnesota. Um, that's where Mara Rose grew up, and that's, I lived there for six years in way in northern Minnesota. So I got that from there. Um, most of, of the sequences of abuse and the stories of abuse, I did through research. And so that's, I mean, that's one of the things that I really talk about a lot, even when I teach, because a lot of people think that fiction writers are always sort of secretly writing about themselves. The reason I love fiction is because I try to answer questions that I don't have the answer to. I don't write what I know, I write what I want to know. And I wanted to know, how could somebody become this? How do you become a monster? And I think I started writing this soon after there was a news story, and it was years ago. It was about a man who kept his daughter locked up down in the basement for years and actually had like seven or eight children with her, none of whom had seen the light of day until they were discovered. And I mean, immediately the public, of course, treats him as a monster, which he is. But how did he get that way? And I did this to explore that and pretty much in my head anyway, came to the conclusion that monsters really aren't born, they're made. Things happen to them and this is where they, they end up. I was wondering, you know, how, how, as much research you did versus having characters talk to you, because a lot of authors do have their characters talk to them and stuff. Yes. Um, did you find any of that mixed in there? Once Always. No. Always. And I mean, the characters, they end up being very real to you. 
And I think sometimes I spend more time with my characters than I do with my own family because they're in my head all the time. And it's, it's interesting when I teach too, because I begin to talk to my writers about their characters as if the characters are real people. And they love that because to them, they're real people. So they definitely talk to you. And I know when I got to, in this particular book, I wanted to write the story of the day that Cooley was born. And in my head, I wanted Mara Rose to turn away from that baby after birth. She wouldn't let me. It was like, no, you can't do that. I, I did love this child at first. I want to show that I love this child at first. And then things happened. So, and I was so relieved because <laughs> I didn't want her to be mean even when the baby was a baby. And so that was definitely listening to her. Cool. You, um, shortly after that, within a couple of years, you ended up rise, writing Rise from the River. I mean, yep. What is that one about? Rise from the River. That's this one. And I think of all my books, this is the one that haunts me the most. It took me 20 years to be brave enough to say the things that I wanted to say in it. I would start the book and then something would happen and I would say, I, I can't say that now. The book is the first trimester of a pregnancy that's the result of a rape. And so the main character is a young single mother. Um, so I, I basically threw everything at her. She is already a parent. She knows what it's like to love a child and to raise a child. She also knows what it's like to be a single parent. And in her past, in high school, she also became pregnant and experienced abortion. So she already knows what all of this is like. And now she's raped and she's pregnant again. I wanted to take it through the first trimester as she is deciding what to do. Is she going to adopt the baby out? Is she going to keep it? Is she going to abort it? And the thing that I most wanted to bring out in this book is that in 39 states in the United States, if a rapist is caught and the woman is pregnant, she can't give the child up for adoption without the rapist giving up parental rights. That's the law. If she keeps the child, the rapist has the right to receive reports of her pregnancy, her birth, and what the child is doing throughout his pregnancy, her, his prison stay. The parents, any relatives of the rapist who are also attached to this child have the right to ask for visitation. They will receive it. And when the prisoner is released, he can ask for visitation or even partial custody. So right now, the only way a woman can ensure if her rapist is found that she will have no contact with this man is to abort the child. And my point in the book is that rather than looking so closely at the abortion issue, we need to look at the rights of the rapist. If we give a woman more choices, she might not abort. It might be feasible for he to keep to her to keep the child then or give it up for adoption. So this was a hard book to write. And there's a secondary character in there who is a very, very devout Catholic who finds her whole faith just shaken by this. So I, I took on a lot in this book. I took on rape issues, abortion issues, Catholicism. And to me, it, it's 
an important book. I didn't know until the end what my character was going to do. I had no clue. And I'm not going to tell you what she did. You'll have to read the book. But it, to me, this book tore me apart to write. But it felt so important to me because we keep looking at, and it's very timely right now, we keep looking at the abortion and the rape issue as if it's black and white. And it's really, it's not. There's so much in between. Correct. And I was wondering about that because, you know, with all the new laws that have gone into place, um, and this is 2019 for those who may be watching later, um, I mean, there sounds like there may be even a, a a revision and or a sequel or another story um, taking place because of all these laws. I mean, there's just so much going on. It just seems like you have a lot to chew on in that. Um, right. And that brings up a question. You said it took 20 years to write this. What time period have you actually set the story in? Now, I mean, I, the book was published in 2015, so it was set in 2015. And that was part of what was happening is I would, I started just dealing with the abortion issue. I wanted to write a book dealing with the abortion issue. And then I put the rape in. Then other things started to come in, changing laws, and, and I would want to pull that in. So then I would pull the book back out, start to try to work on it again, and then bogged down because I was scared of what I wanted to say. I knew there were going to be people that didn't like what I was saying and what I was doing. And it's a very touchy subject. So it, it took me a while, you know, and even with this last draft, I was in the middle of writing it and Doris, who is the Catholic next door neighbor, also deals with, she had a, a baby back when she was younger. She's now much older. Um, her baby would be 40 some years old now. And the baby died before baptism. And at the time, Catholics believed in baby limbo, that if your child wasn't baptized before death, they were always floating in this space called limbo, basically underneath the floor of earth and they would never, or of heaven, and they would never be allowed into heaven, but they, of course, would never go to hell. And she dealt with this for 40 years. And I was having her work on that in the story. When lo and behold, the Pope came out and said, oh, guess what? We've decided there's no baby limbo anymore. I had to rewrite the whole story. And actually, I think it ended up being stronger with her dealing with this idea of for 40 years, I thought my baby was in limbo. And now you're telling me there's no such thing. So she ended up with her storyline. She was another one that she was a character that was supposed to be secondary. She was only supposed to provide child care to my main character's child. And she ended up having her own storyline and basically taking over the show sometimes. <laughs> well, that is the joy of being a, an author is that you get to challenge people's way of thinking and stuff. Yes. And that book definitely did that. We are at a point where we need to take a break for our sponsor, but we'll be right back. National Authors Day is November 2nd, 2019. This annual event is getting a fresh look with a parade that starts at the Texas State Capitol and works its way south down Congress Avenue. Join us as we celebrate the joy of being a published author and the joy of reading. For more information about the parade, merchandise, and other events related to this event, please visit our website at authors.dearindy.org. What would you do if you found out everyone on the town council were thieves and murderers? 
That's what happened in Bandera, Texas in 1873. John Cruder was the marshal, yet he needed to operate outside the law in order to balance the scales of justice. He is the Midnight Marauder. You can find his books on Amazon.com and TopWesterns.com in paperback, digital, and audio. I'm Roy Clinton, and I hope you'll read The Midnight Marauder. Thank you for watching or listening to this show. Andy Lecter is proud to sponsor this programming. As a thank you for listening or watching, we would like to give you a 10% coupon code that you can use on our bookstore at IndyLector.store. Use coupon code VIDEO19. Again, that's IndyLector.store, coupon code VIDEO19 for a 10% discount on any purchase. Thank you. Welcome back to Indy Beacon Radio. Don't forget to like us, follow us, or subscribe to one of our many channels. Now, here is your host for today's show. And welcome back. This is your host, B. Alan Bourgeois. You are either listening or watching to Indy Beacon Radio. We have Kathy Giorgio with us. Did I do it right? You did great, <laughs> yep. <laughs> Welcome back, Kathy. We've been talking about your books. We have some other books, but we only have a short period of time to go through. Um, and I just want to remind people some of the other um, books that you did do. Um, In Grace's Time, um, Endangered Hearts. And Enlarged Hearts. Enlarged Hearts. My apologies. Yes. I have lights staring at me in the computer. <laughs> um, and then... Oddities and Endings, a collection of short stories, which is just a small collection of the roughly 2,000 short stories you've written and stuff. Um, do you have any books coming out soon? I do. Um, on September 26th, my next novel will be released. Uh, it is called If You Tame Me, and it is a novel about a 55-year-old woman, newly turned 55, who it's right after the election in 2016. And she is wondering what it takes to be a feminist in the current political environment. So while she's dealing with that, too, she's single and she doesn't want to be. She wants to have a partner. And she is also wondering, can I really truly be a feminist if I feel like my life isn't complete without a man in it? So she's struggling with several different things. Um, the story came out of nowhere. I was about to fall asleep one night and I thought, oh, okay, there's this woman. She just turned 55. She wants to be married, but she's not. When she was a kid, she loved Fig Newtons more than anything, so she always wanted her husband to be named Newton. Now she doesn't want to be a cliche. She doesn't want to adopt a cat, so she goes out and she adopts an iguana and she names him Newt. And I didn't even write it down. I was like, that's, that's ridiculous. Just go to sleep. But the next morning, it was still there. And so I started writing about Audrey and her iguana, Newt. And then there's her next door neighbor, Frank, who has six parakeets. And the book, while it has a serious tone to it, is very funny. I mean, I'm laughing the whole time I wrote it. I'm hoping to heaven that everybody else thinks it's funny, too. And it's not just my weird sense of humor but that comes out September 26th. Great, we have just a couple minutes left of the show. Will you please let people know how they can find more information about you and also again about your writing programs that you have? 
All right. Well, the best way to find me is online. My website is kathygiorgio.org. And hopefully, do they have the spelling of my name up on the screen at all? We will, yes. Okay. So kathygiorgio.org. You can find my blog there. You can find where I'm going to be and what my next publications are. To find the studio, All Writers Workplace and Workshop, you go to www all writers a l l w r i t e r s workshop.com great and just so people know when they do get to your website it does have what appears to be a clock an earth clock yes uh, home page with lots of gears and stuff like that which i assume is a tribute to your first book is that correct yes definitely yep i'm i collect clocks as well as write about them so yeah there's clocks and I hardly see any behind you. What? They're mostly downstairs. I have a few behind me, but I would have to show you everything that I piled off to the side in order to get my <laughs> books behind me. So you're not going to see that today. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to thank you very much for being on the show with us, and we wish you the best of luck. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Indie Beacon Radio, where creative souls can find help in marketing their creations. To learn more about Indie Beacon services, to be a guest on the show, or to advertise on our show, please visit our website at IndieBeacon.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.